Spirit, please come and uh, give us freedom from our sin, from resistance to hearing your word, to seeing the glory of Jesus. And we pray that on this day that we would hear it, that we would see it. And uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, please. And uh, chapter 3, I want to read beginning in verse 7 all the way through chapter 4 and verse 6. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, please, verse 7. This is the word of God. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such hope, we're very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. As to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to do, if God will help us, is to, to focus attention really on verse 18 of chapter 3. It says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is, who is the Spirit. Now, this is a profound statement. And I suggest it's a summary, really, of our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus, believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus. It's a summary of that uh, it, it speaks to us about being transformed, some versions have, into his likeness or into the glory of Jesus. To being transformed into the glory of Jesus. 
Now that word transformed comes to us, it comes um, through the Greek to us in English as well, metamorphosis. I can have a scientific kind of um, understanding. As, as, as a kid, I mostly learned it as a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, that kind of metamorphosis, that kind of change. In the Bible, it's used of the transfiguration of Jesus. You remember the scene where uh, Jesus takes a few of his disciples up in the mountain and they see Jesus transfigured. He changes, he shines, he changes really into the glorified Jesus. And, and uh, they're amazed and we would be amazed as well. It's, it's that kind of thing. It's that kind of change. Not that we're being changed to be divine like Jesus is in his nature of deity, but but we're becoming that which God has designed human beings to be, and that is in his image, in his likeness, to glorify him. You remember that God created us, human beings, in his image. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. God created us in his image. That means he created us to reflect him. An image is a reflection. We're to reflect him. There's a sense in which looking at a human being, one can understand something about who God is. We're not divine. We're not God. We're human beings, but we're made in his likeness to reflect him. And, and, and in that reflection of his majesty, of his glory, is to be seen in, in, in God creating us to take, to have dominion under him. Trusting him, following him, but to take dominion over the earth, to cultivate the earth in such a way that it becomes a suitable dwelling place for God among his people. Genesis 1, we're to take dominion over the earth. We're to cultivate it. We're to work it. He called us to work it. We're to cultivate it, cultivate the culture of the world in such a way that it's a suitable dwelling place for God with his, with his people. Now, you know what happened. You know that that image of God in us was spoiled. It was marred. It was spoiled and marred by our forefather, Adam, and thus in us, uh, in us as well. Because he was to image God. He was to reflect God, trusting God. He was to take dominion over the earth to cultivate in such a way that it would be a suitable dwelling place for God uh, with his people. But, but rather than that, he decided to rebel. He decided to turn away from God. And he did that, we understand, and we know, by turning away from God. Rather than, than living in dependence, in, not independence, in, in breath, dependence, of God trusting him. That's this sense of reflecting the glory, the majesty of God. If God is majestic, if God is glorious, if God is great, if God is all wise and, 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 and perfect in his ways, the way that we, we reflect him is to be holy. Because he is holy. And to seek his wisdom and to seek his strength to live this out. Uh, Adam didn't do that. Adam went his own way. Rather than trusting in the wisdom of God concerning good and evil, he trusted in himself. And that turned everything on its ear, most especially 
human beings. The image of God in us uh, was was marred. Um, That's why Romans 3.23 says that sin is falling short of the glory of God. Falling short of reflecting who God is. If he's really God, we should obey him. Adam didn't. If he's really God, we should worship him. Adam didn't when it came to that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we've been marred, if you will, by, by the sin. The image of God in us is marred. And, and, and the result has been damaging. Every misery uh, in the world today, every misery in the world throughout history, every mis- misery that we've ever experienced is the result of the image of God in us being spoiled, being damaged, being broken. Um, and most especially the fact that we're under the condemnation of God, under his wrath and condemned. I mean, most especially that. Now, Jesus came in order, yes, to die to bring forgiveness of sins, but to reconcile us to God so that the image of God in us could be, would be restored. Have you thought about, for instance, the purpose of predestination? Now I know that when I say predestination, bells and whistles go off. I'm not going to deal with the bells and whistles. I'm only going to deal with the purpose of it. The plan of God. What was the purpose of God for predestinating, for putting together his plan? Romans 8, 29 speaks to us of the purpose of of this predestination, what God had planned. Verse 29 of Romans 8, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See, that's the destiny of of all of us who are believers. And that was God's plan from the beginning to have those who he knew and he would call But the end result of all of that would be that those he called and justified would be conformed to the image of his son, the likeness of Jesus. That is to restore in us the image of God. Because you see, Jesus is the perfect image of God. And he's the perfect human being. And he says, I want to make you like that. That's what I'm after here. That's this. That's the destiny. If you're a believer in Jesus and you want to know your destiny, it's that to be conformed to the image of God. That's happening even now. Colossians in chapter three, in verse ten. Uh, Puts it like this. Let me just begin with verse 9 so I can get a whole sentence here. He says, don't lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self, past tense, with its practices, and have put on the new self. So he's saying you're a new self now. Something's happened. You've been, in Jesus' language, you've been born again. As we talked last week or the week before, in Ezekiel's language, your heart of stone has been taken out, a heart of flesh has been put in, the Spirit of God has has been put in you so that you can walk in his ways. Um, according to Jeremiah, the law has been written on your, on your mind and is in your heart. And so you've put off the old self, where none of that was true, and you've put on the new self, which all of that is true. And notice what's, what's happening with this new self. He says, 
which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You see, right now, as human beings, believers in Jesus, we're being renewed in the image and likeness of our creator, of Jesus. Um, Puts it a bit differently, but same point being made in Ephesians and chapter 4. In verse 22, here he's talking to a group of people. He says, now put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and it's corrupt through deceitful desires and be and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created is what's true of the new self it's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness so the purpose of of predestination our destiny is to be conformed to the image of God to have the image of of God renewed in us which was lost spoiled at the at the fall but now that's happening now and 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 this is a spirit of, of, of uh, image of righteousness and holiness. The end result of all of this is that we're in the image of Jesus. First John chapter 3, verse 2. The apostle writes, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, we're not quite sure. We, we don't really see it. What's coming, we haven't really seen yet. Um, but we know... That when he, that is, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And so he says there's this one, the coming of Jesus, we'll see him and boom, this transformation will be complete. We'll be like him. So God's plan is we be conformed to the image of his son. That is, that this image of God lost because of sin is restored. What's happening now in the course of our life, of this, over our lives, we're becoming increasingly, hopefully, <clears throat> restored to the image of Jesus in his likeness. That's what's to be happening now. And a day will come when, boom, we'll see it. It'll all take, take place. And I believe that's what Paul is speaking of here, this process now of being transformed into the same image that is into the likeness of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. That is, it's a progressive thing. There's no perfectionism here in the sense that we don't reach it. We don't become perfect in this life. It's still going on always uh, to one from one degree of glory to another. When you think you've made it, you need to confess your pride and, and then go on to another degree of glory. But there's no complacency here either. It isn't that, that, that we can say, okay, it's just going to happen. No, there isn't a complacency here. We're to be living this out from one degree of glory uh, to another. So what does that, what does that mean? Well, well, the Apostle John in, in 1 John chapter uh, 2 and verse 6 uh, puts it like this. If I can, middle verse 5, at least that's where my sentence begins. But this we may know, by this we may know that we're in him, in Jesus. Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. And so that's the sense of it. We're really talking about a life of holiness here. We're really talking about a life of believing in Jesus, yes, and following him, right? And in our lives are to reflect this. Now, if you're like me, when I read a sentence like that, my mind immediately goes to living obediently, doing the right thing. And that's not a bad place for your mind to go. But but before you go there, can I suggest, and before I go there, I need to tell myself, 
that first and foremost, when we think about how Jesus lived, he lived trusting his Father. First and foremost, he lived trusting his Father. He lived loving his Father. And that's where we begin. The reason that Jesus lived the way he did is because he trusted in the wisdom of his Father. He said, I came to do the will of my Father. He trusted the will of his Father. He knew the will of his Father and he trusted that's right. He trusted it even unto death. Right? He trusted. First and foremost, we need to be trusting people. Trusting in not our own wisdom, but in God's wisdom. He trusted Not in his own strength, Jesus did, but even in the strength of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 5 and uh, verse 30, uh, John records this statement of Jesus, which I I marvel at every time I, I read it. Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. I mean, Jesus said that. So why in the world am I trying to do anything on my own? If Jesus said, I can't do anything on my own. What he meant by that? I trust my father. I trust his wisdom. I trust the spirit who came upon me at my baptism and and to help me and to lead me and to guide me and all of that. That's what it means to walk as Jesus walked. Now, all the other stuff comes from that. All the obedience. Yes, of course. But but, but he trusts his father. The way way Paul puts it uh, when he writes to the church in Philippi. We know this passage really well. Philippians and chapter 2, verse 5. He's saying, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the mind, the understanding, the attitude of the new self. This was in Christ Jesus. So now by his spirit, it's in us. Verse five, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. You see, Jesus, he walked in humility. Now, he had something that we don't have. He was in the form of God. And so his humility was a real humility. In other words, he, he, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, meaning that he emptied himself or, uh, of, of, of his right to be glorified, to, to glory. You know, when Jesus walked down the street, people should have fallen at his feet and worshipped him. But he took on the appearance and the nature of a man, and, and so that didn't happen, at least all the time. And so, and he was good with that. He humbled himself even to the point of what happened to him on the cross, even to the point of that kind of humiliation. And so we need to walk in humility, not thinking ourselves better than others. To serve one another. You know the beautiful picture of Jesus serving on the night that he was betrayed when he took the towel and put it around his waist and washed his disciples' feet. And he says, I've given you this as an example. You know, live like this. Not thinking yourself better than each other, but serving each other in, in, real, in real love. He said another example that we receive from, uh, of, of Jesus' life comes in First Peter in, in, in chapter 2, um, verse uh, 21. It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. 
When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he continued, here it is, entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Therefore, he was able, you see, he trusted his father was with him. He trusted his father had called him. He trusted his father was sovereign over that situation. He trusted that's where he needed to be in that situation of even being reviling, reviled. And he didn't revile back. He trusted. And so he himself bore our sins in his body. We don't do that. He did that on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. Uh, you were healed. We're to live, of course. No surprise with this one. We're to live uh, in love. Ephesians chapter 5. Um, the apostle writes, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us uh, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Sacrifice uh, to God. Um, could summarize all of this, I suppose. That we're to exhibit, live out, and have formed in us and live out the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and uh, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All of those true of Jesus. And if they were true of him, then we're to live to walk that out. Now the question is, how does that happen? We say, well, it happens by the Holy Spirit. It happens first by this new birth that we receive by the Holy Spirit. Again, if I could go back to our, our prophets of the new covenant, uh, Ezekiel especially, taking out this heart of stone, putting in a heart of flesh, putting his spirit within us. You see, all of that renewing us, giving us this new self. We can't do that for ourselves. Only God can give us that new life by the Spirit. And, and so he does. But this too, you see, this spirit comes to us, Holy Spirit comes to us and works everything that is true of Jesus, everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did, he works in us. John chapter 16, for instance, verse 12. Again, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples right before his crucifixion. He says, I've, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. And he'll declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, you remember that the word of God is powerful. It's creative. God speaks stuff comes into existence. And so, when the Holy Spirit declares it, he's creating it in us. That's the powerful word of God. When the, when the Spirit speaks, boom, right? And so, he declares it to us. He works it in us. So, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Now, how does the Holy Spirit do that. What's the means he uses? Notice verse 18. And we with all, with, uh, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now, some versions, it, this I read out of the English Standard Version, there's a marginal note. Always read the marginal notes. There's a marginal note, which means that this word's a bit tricky 
to really translate accurately. So the ESV says, beholding the glory of the Lord. The marginal note is reflecting the glory of the Lord. So one sense you get to see you looking at it, beholding it. And the other translation could be, well, actually you're reflecting it. It's in a mirror. You're reflecting it. In fact, the New International Version, through their 1984 translation, <laughs> translated it, behold, uh, reflecting. And the newer version has contemplating it, which is more beholding. Now, which is it? Well, I, I, could I just say both? Uh, because, you see, I, I, what we, we reflect what we behold. And so what we behold transforms us. One of the games that I play when I go to the movie theater is that I like to guess the movie that the people who are coming out watched. And, you know, I usually know what the, you know, what the, what's showing, you know, because I've looked at all of them to see if there's a movie that I can even go to. But, uh, and, and, uh, and so I try to guess, you know, and if there was a horror flick, I, I expect people to come out with their eyes like as big as saucers and all the blood drained out of their faces, right? Why? Because you reflect what you behold, right? If it was a romantic sort of chick flick, I expect women to come out with tears and makeup on their cheeks and the men coming out confused, um, <laughs> proud of themselves that they sat through this movie, uh, you know, or well-rested. But, but you know, they, they come out because... Because you, you, you know, you, you reflect uh, what you, what you hold. If it's a comedy, they should become out smiling. Athletes do this. As a little kid, uh, I grew up near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and as a kid growing up in the 60s, uh, every little kid in Little League went to bat, dragging their bat to home plate. And when they got there, they dug in the dirt for a little while. And then they did this unique baseball thing. They stretched their neck. The reason they did that was because all of our favorite players was Roberto Clemente, who played right field for the Pirates, and he had a bad back, and so he always stretched his neck. But every kid did that. Why? Because you reflect what you behold. When I was in seminary, another game I played, I shouldn't confess all this to you. I played a game, especially in chapel, when students were preaching. I played the game, guess who his favorite professor is. I would listen for phrases. I would watch for mannerisms. I would listen for certain theological emphases, cadence and voice. And you could always tell who the student preacher's favorite professor was because we reflect what we behold. Advertisers know this. If we can get you to behold this 30-second commercial 18 times in the next five innings of the game, then you might reflect that. We know that in our lives. Some of us, because of what we beheld in our families, affects our lives now, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively. We know that pornography is destroying the sex lives of many in our culture because we reflect what we behold. And so it's true. It was true for Moses. 
Right. He went up on the mountain. I read earlier and Paul uses as his illustration getting us to this when 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 Paul, I'm sorry, when Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments for the second time. First time you remember he came down and they were worshiping God as if he were a golden calf. And and so Moses broke the stones and uh, broke the, the, the Ten Commandments, if you will, into pieces. And there were some other issues happening. God said, I'm not going to go with those people. Moses interceded. And so God said, I will. And, and, and Moses said, show me your glory. God said, well, yeah, I will. But I, you can't really see it face on. So as I go by you, I'll, I'll put my hand over your eyes and then you can see my back. And there you'll see my glory. And then, then he calls Moses back up to the mountain, gives him the, 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 the Ten Commandments again on stones and, and describes the covenant to him. Moses comes down and because he had beheld the glory of the Lord, his face shone. Because we reflect what we behold. And, and, and Paul then is able to use this as kind of a, a parable. He, he says, now, you have to understand, if you want to know where you behold the glory of the Lord, it's no longer in Moses. It was in Moses. It was glorious. The law was glorious. It, it showed the, the, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. And, and, and it, was, it was glorious. And, and even there were was, there was some stand-ins to kind of help you live in the presence of God. There were priests who stood in for the priest who would the, was to come. There were sacrifices. There were the stand-in for the sacrifice that would be made. But, 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 but Moses covered his face. And, and, and we don't read this in Exodus. You get the impression in Exodus because that's what it says. They were afraid. So... You get this sense that Moses covered his face. But, but Paul says, no, he was covered his face because the glory faded after a while. He had to go back into the presence of God and get it again. And it faded. He said, just like that, the, 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 the law, the, the glory of, of Moses, this covenant, old covenants, has, has, has faded. So, so don't look there. If you look there, and people are still looking there, there's a veil that covers your face. So you can't see it because it's... Because you need to be free. And the Lord who is the Spirit comes and sets you free so that you can see the glory. Verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, that's where you see the glory. You see the glory when you turn to the Lord, when you turn to Jesus. And it's the Spirit who enables you to see him. Now, it's not just for those who look to Moses. He says, all unbelievers in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, he says and even if our gospel is veiled... And he says, it's not veiled. We say it all the time. It's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Christ. He says, you want to behold the glory of the Lord, then by the Spirit look to Jesus and you'll see the glory of the Lord. And if you see the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus, then your life will be transformed because we reflect what we behold. I know some say, but, you know, I just don't get it. Just don't get it. I don't, I don't, 
I just don't get it. I mean, I can pass a multiple choice test on who Jesus is and all of that. And, uh, but, but I just don't see it. I just don't get it. What do I do? And I'll tell you, this happens more often than you might think. People come to me and say, Bill, I, I get it. It just doesn't matter to me. It just doesn't move me. It doesn't cause me to repent. It doesn't cause me to confess my sins. It doesn't cause me to love God. It doesn't cause me to, to, to desire to live in such a way that's pleasing. It just doesn't move me. What do I, what do, I do? What's, 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 what's wrong with me? And did I say the same thing wrong with me? Right? And so I say, Here, here's what I would do. First, I would turn to the Lord who is the Spirit and I would say, Holy Spirit, please help me. Help take the veil from my mind and my heart. Speak this creative word so that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Jesus can be seen. I can see it. Enable me to see it. I don't see it. Enable me to see it. If I confess anything, I confess that I don't see it. Please, please help me. And then... Go to Jesus. Focus your attention upon, upon him. Who is he? What, do you see? What, what are you supposed to see? You're supposed to see the, the righteousness and the holiness of God in him as he lived out his life to glorify the law. You're to see his, the righteousness and holiness of God as he takes the penalty of sin. You're to see the love of God as, as God doesn't pour out his wrath upon you, but upon Jesus. And so you see the love of God. You see the love of Jesus for his father to do this for us. Do you see it? Pray that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes. Will open your eyes to, to see it. And, and if you do see it, then how are we transformed? We're transformed, as the scripture said, that we're to fix our eyes upon Jesus, who's the author of our faith and the finisher of it. And in between, the transformer through the spirit of our lives. We're to fix our eyes upon him. And we're to do all that with the confidence that the Spirit of God lives in us. Uh, William Temple, Archbishop of Canterbury, during World War II, 1940s, put it like this. He said, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like that. And if the spirit could come into me, then I could live a life like his. That is our hope. The spirit of God, for believers in Jesus, lives in us. From one degree of glory to another, to another, to another, to another. We can live like that. But not if we take our eyes off Jesus. What do you see? On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup 
And again, after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And you see, the Lord has given us this supper, in part at least, to behold the glory of the Lord. To see his righteousness and holiness. To see his mercy and his love. And he says, if you behold one like this, it will transform your life by the presence of the Spirit who is within you. It's not magic. It's mystery. It's the presence of God. And he says, fix your eyes upon Jesus and study upon his life, contemplate, love him. What you'll find is that your life will be transformed from one degree of glory to another and to another and to another love. You'll find yourself loving. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see it? Do you see that in Jesus? Do you marvel at that kind of love? Joy. It was for the joy that was set before him that he despised the shame of it and went through with it so that his people could be saved. You find yourself filled with joy that Jesus did such a thing. Is it your hope, you see? Is it your peace? Is this what calms your nerves, calms your spirit when you know that you have peace with God and thus God is for you and not against you? Does it bring peace? Uh, patience, that, that Jesus was, has been patient with us. Think about, about how patient he's been with you and how patient he's been with me and, and all of us. And, and it doesn't, that, doesn't that cause you to sit back and marvel at his patience? And, and as we think about his patience and as we worship him, it changes us to be patient. His kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness faithfulness to us. We meditate upon the faithfulness of Jesus. You see, we, we behold his faithfulness and, and, and it transforms us to be people who are faithful. His gentleness. Prophet Isaiah says of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break and a burning flax he will not snuff out. How many times in your life, my life, have we been just about snuffed out? And yet, in his gentleness, he brings another person to us. He brings us an event to us. He brings us a word to us. He brings us something. He doesn't destroy us. He doesn't, he doesn't snuff us out. But yet, he strengthens us in the midst of the difficulty that we find ourselves, of ourselves in self-control. The self-control of Jesus. I, I marvel every Holy Week when I think about Jesus hanging on the cross. And I think of all the pain and all the suffering more than I could ever imagine because the sins of the world and the guilt of the world being placed upon him and he's suffering for all of that. And at any moment in time, he really could have popped off the cross. He really could have said, I've had enough, that's it. I need a breather. But even in the midst of that, it's self-control. And even as the Lord of glory, when people were plucking on his beard and putting on a crown of thorns and, 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 and harassing him in every way imaginable, still 
loved them. Self-control of that. I look at that and I marvel at that and I say, yes, it's the way I must be. And so as we behold the glory of Jesus, we reflect the glory of Jesus. Behold. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for me, for us. And as we come to the table this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would perhaps anew and afresh open our eyes. That we can see more of Jesus than ever before. We can see his glory. For those who've never seen it, I pray God you would open eyes to see it. To see the glory of Jesus. And then, beholding him, we leave this table reflecting him, being transformed. And this I pray in Jesus' name.